Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Ball podcast. Welcome to this first podcast of 2017. On this episode, Ian and I chat to Greg Pyers. Greg grew up in the small Australian town of Dalesford. He's the author of more than 160 non-fiction, mainly natural history books, and three novels for children. He has written two historical novels, the latest, The Unfortunate Victim, published by Scribe. Greg has been a full-time author since 1999, after working at Melbourne Zoo. As a boy, he read Gerald Durrell's books, and many years later worked at Durrell's Jersey Zoo. He has had a lifelong interest in writing, and his foray into historical fiction was prompted by his interest in history, and inspired by Hilary Mantle's Wolf Hall, Robert Harris's Pompeii, among other works. In the media section, we chat about Rogue One, 11.22.63, by Stephen King, Alan Moore's V for Vendetta, and The Allure of Antiques Roadshow. For the topic, we chat about venturing into the unknown as a writer and diversifying ourselves. Or do we even need to? As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate in contacting me on my email, mailbox, thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We are at the Brunswick Street Bookstore today on the first podcast of 2017. I'm glad I got the year right, Ian. Welcome to the podcast. Good to have you back. Yeah, good to be here in the new year. Do you get the thing where saying the new year takes about half the year? Yeah, about mm. that. And then already you're looking forward to the next year. So I've, I've got 2017 down pat okay now. I feel yeah. like I've gotten the rhythm. Fantastic. I, You know, funny you mentioned that because before 2016, I didn't use social media. Mm-hmm. A lot. Right. And then before that, not at all. Yep. Um, and it's interesting because I'm better at dates now that I look at social media because it has like dates on everything, right? Right. Yeah. So it's sort of ingrained in my head that it's 2017. Yeah. I, for me, it was just tweeting in the new year that helped me to transition. Yeah. Right. I don't do that. You okay. see, I, I just creep on other people's tweets. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have opinions. Yeah. You pop yet. up in my feed. You know, Joel, Joel liked your, liked your tweet. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he did. I know you're there. It's yeah. You feel close. I, I, hang, I hang around. Yeah. I'm the creeper on the wall. Um, but yes, how has your year been, Ian? What have you been up to? Yeah, well, I was uh, I was traveling for a little bit um, over Christmas, New Year, and then came back and uh, settled into Melbourne just in time for a heat wave. Get along to a bit of the Australian Open. It's a great place to be in summer here. So, which now we mm. we won't go too far on the Australian Open. Yeah, it's fine because I know there's a lot of non-sports fans yeah, out yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people who absolutely despise it within our industry specifically. Mm-hmm. So we'll not go too much yeah. in case too many people get triggered and switch off this video, um, <laughs> audio. Uh, but which game did you watch? This I was, year? So I, I went live to two Federer matches yep. and managed to secure tickets to the semifinal against Wawrinka, which was great. Yes. But it actually did work into writing really well because on Reddit uh, a couple segue. of days ago, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, segue, uh, someone put up a, a, a writing prompt where they said, you know, write a short story where um, Roger Federer, he, he's actually some kind <laughs> of evil force trying to get to 20 championships and if he does the world will end and Nadal is the only one who can stop him (laughs) and so I I wrote this short story from their perspective so if you go on reddit and look up IH Laking you can read my uh my little short story that I wrote there you go yeah. Well, I shall do that after the podcast. I bought it full circle for you. There you go. I Flash like fiction. it. Um, fa- <laughs> fantastic. Um, no, so we'll not go too long on the, on the tennis, but I will say probably one of the best um, mm. Grand Slams, especially that final. It was it was quite something to behold. Yeah. There's a spider running down your leg, Greg. Oh, there we go. Or a fly. Now out. that we've introduced our guest, hey, Greg Pies, welcome the to the welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. Good to be here. <laughs> Fantastic to have you. How has your week been? Uh, well, look, you know, when you ask me how my week's been, I have to think, what day is it? Uh, <laughs> I'm never sure what day it is. Um, I notice some more people around, so I think it must be Saturday, but uh-huh. it's not, is it? It's uh, the School's just gone back. It is a Wednesday. That's Wednesday. the reason. Yeah, it's a Wednesday. It's been good, thanks, Joel. It's been good? Mm. Been keeping busy? Oh, I am busy all the time. Mm-hmm. You've got a book coming up, which means that it's go, 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 I'm guessing? Uh, well, um, yes, it's, I suppose it's. Uh, I'm, I've finally let it go, let it out there. So, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, there's a launch coming up next mm. Thursday, the mm-hmm. 9th. Um, so I'm busy doing something else rather than just sort of sitting around waiting for that. 
Mm, fantastic. All right. Well, keeping on target with that, this podcast, you're probably listening to it, listeners, on a Monday or a Tuesday, depending mm-hmm. on when this comes out. Um, so make sure you, you head to that launch, and that will be at Readings. Readings in, in Carlton, yes. In Carlton. Yeah. And six, six, 6.30. Great. Mm. Fantastic. Well, you should totally be there. Um, so we will be talking a little bit about the book, but we will also be talking about a interesting topic. I hope it's interesting. Mm-hmm. If it's not, we'll probably cut that section of the podcast out. <laughs> You'll never notice it didn't exist. Um, but let's move swiftly on to the uh, media section of the podcast where we talk about what we've been watching. So, Ian, let's mm. start off with you. Um, yeah. What have you got for us? Well, a cu- couple of things. I've been watching a couple of things. Two things I've been watching. One thing I've been reading. Um, so, first of all, Star Wars. Uh, the new Star Wars movie, Rogue One. Went to see that uh, while I was on holiday. Yes, in, we'll in talk about screen. that. Mm-hmm. So, that was interesting. Um, uh, secondly, been watching a bit of uh, the adaption of Stephen King's novel. Now, this is... I always get this wrong. I think it's 221061. Uh, it's a story... Look, it's, it's an interesting one. It's been adapted into a... a TV miniseries, basically. So that, that's right. been interesting. Um, and I haven't read the book, so it's been interesting to see that. Uh, and then lastly, I've been reading the graphic novels of The Walking Dead, which I bought all of while I was on holiday. Yes, yeah, so I've heard good things about that. How is it? It's been really interesting reading. So I've watched The Walking Dead series. I'm a fan of the series. Um, and it's been interesting to read the graphic novels to see the difference um, in what they do with characters. And I must say that the characterization, the way they build characters on on the TV show is, in my opinion, uh, better developed than some of what they do in the uh, in the in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an example of that, let's give one quick example. Uh, you know, the ca- the character of the governor is very much a caricature vi- villain in the uh, in in the graphic novels. Whereas when you get to the governor and in the the series, he's actually you, you can feel some empathy for him, whereas there's zero empathy in the books. Mm-hmm. He's just straight out villain all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense, you see those characters and the way they've developed some of them. It's fantastic. So, my my take on that is that the the art is fantastic. Yeah. The writing, I think that they benefited from having a really great team of screenwriters in the mm-hmm. series, and that's been to the to the good of everyone. Interesting. Hmm. There you go. Um, so what I've been watching, yes, I, I watched Rogue One as well. Mm-hmm. Um, still continuing my, my foray into the Star Wars universe after missing it for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I watched Rogue One. The I, I quite enjoyed it. It was probably the one Star Wars movie since episode, well, Empire Strikes Back. What is that? Uh, five. Okay. Since five <laughs> that I really enjoyed. Okay. I thought it was, yep. a. It, it had a lot of... For me, I compared it to the movies that I enjoyed when I was growing up, which was Where Eagles Dare, Guns of Navarone, war movies. Right. Um, and Rogue One was a sci-fi war movie. Mm. Um, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that a lot. Mm. I think uh, the characters were maybe not as explored as much, but still mm. um, still entertaining and fun. And it, it was a good movie. Um, mm. would, would, would that be your take as well, Ian? Um, I thought it was okay, but I felt that it, the pacing was off a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and an interesting thing that, w- that was noted afterwards was that uh, the if you look at the trailer and compare it to the movie, and someone wrote a really good um, article breakdown of this, the trailer is pretty much completely different from what the final movie came out to be. Oh, yes. They yeah. reshot so much of it. I think either they, they also took a lot out. Uh, like I There was a that. lot of things in the, in the trailer that didn't show up in the movie. Yeah. Um, I think... I think the interesting thing was with the trailer that they did a little bit of in the in the previous Star Wars episode seven, I think. Mm. Um, yes, it's seven. Uh, is that they they gave a lot in the trailer to make to portray a different movie? Mm. So then when you go see it, it's still a fresh feeling. Yeah, that's my guess. Yeah, I'm true. not sure. True. Um, I think they're doing that a lot these days because people are complaining that trailers show a lot too much about the movie and people are avoiding trailers altogether. Mm. Um, mm. So plotting out the movie that way in a trailer maybe was a good way of, you know, like they did yeah. with Episode Seven, switching out who the who the Jedi was, right? Yeah, true. Um, so mm. yeah, Rogue One was good. Um, apart from that, I watched, uh, not watched, but um, but read uh, Alan Moore's V for Vendetta, which oh, I great. haven't uh, had read before. Mm. And... It was odd, and which you'd expect from Alan Moore, but um, I, yeah, mm. <laughs> I haven't read it, but I've seen I've seen the movie. With, yeah, it's uh, nothing like it's, it's Weaving, very like much, okay. very different from the uh, from the movie. 
Um, I know there was some controversy where Alan Moore asked to have his name removed from the movie, Did, and there's he? a lot of yeah. Um, and I believe his his um, was it co-author or uh, Alan Lloyd who I forget his mm. role, but I remember him saying that I I he didn't believe that Alan would Alan Moore would ever be happy with yeah. oh, uh, right. a movie adaptation anyway. Okay. So, um. Not sure. I, I didn't enjoy the movie that much, uh, but the graphic novel was interesting. Mm-hmm. It was very much the idea of looking at the idea of a, this kind of a fascist government coming in and taking control and um, control of, you know, and, and it's very much London um, mm. through the eyes of Alan Moore looking at, like, the, the security cameras and, right. and, you know, hypothesizing about what could be. It's, mm. uh, it's an interesting book. It has good elements to it. I'm not sure I'm the audience for it, mm. per se, but it was a good read. Um, I watched a movie called uh, Automata this week. I really like AI movies. I like anything mm. that talks about AI. Mm. Um, have either of you seen this film? No, I have heard of it, though. Yes, yeah. it is. And that's is... probably why I didn't go to it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had AI and you were like, no. Yeah, I think yeah, AI. We used to always know that I did uh, agricultural mm. science. Mm-hmm. And AI was something completely different. Yeah. Right. Uh, artificial and... Um, Simulation. Oh, right. <laughs> so when AI people talk about AI, I thought I'm I, I I'm this. I'm done. I'm keeping my hands well clear of this. Um, but no, <laughs> so to speak. That's yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, but um, yeah, Automata. It's a independent film, I believe. It is Spanish, and I, f- I forget the other mm. uh, cinema. Mm. Um, and Antonio Banderas is the main character, um, mm. right. and very odd. It's a very strange film. Mm. Ex Machina, I thought was a very good AI movie. Yeah. Um, now that you've mentioned your your version of AI, every time I say it, <laughs> yeah. I can't really yeah, say it with a straight it. face. It shows my shows how out of touch. That's <laughs> <laughs> alright. <laughs> uh, but um, Ex mm. Machina was a great film. Yeah. Automata looks at AI in a in a in a different way, looking at the idea of <laughs> yeah. now Ian's breaking down. No, What's I'm going sorry. on? Yeah. Um, and I I really liked Automata. I thought it was a good film. Yeah. It's had a really nice arc to the character, mm-hmm. and looking at AI in a way that maybe isn't as advanced per se as um, Ex Machina's version of mm-hmm. AI, but more advanced in other facets, like the idea of consciousness and. Yeah. Um, a seeming lack of uh, a moral landscape, mm. which Ex Machina sort of played around, like mm. um, this is a character looking out for its own ends kind of a thing. Mm. Um, whereas in this one, it was very different. I encourage anyone to go watch that movie. It mm. is very odd. Mm. Um, it's a very, it's a dystopian world. Um, mm. It's never going to be popular just because it's not a very pretty movie. It mm. doesn't make you feel good when you watch it, for sure. Um, and you get to the end of the movie and you do feel a little bit dirty, mm. um, but it's a it's a it's a film that's worth watching and exploring mm. the idea of artificial consciousness and mm. you know the the boundaries we and we we it looks at the idea of those um, uh, I think it's uh, Asimov mm. um, those um, protocols in um, yeah that we 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 put onto AI you know you cannot harm another human life mm. yeah um, it cannot self repair and those are the the protocols that it talks about and that's the crux of the movie yeah so Hmm. great movie really enjoyed it Hmm. um worth checking out greg what have you been watching assuming are we talking about television or movies the whole television look i I, I Mm. tell you you might think that i'm just sitting at my desk all the time if i say i don't watch much television it's all right Um, good on you (laughs) i'll admit to watching reruns of peep show late at night (laughs) right there All right. Go. Okay. Yep. Cheers. Perhaps I missed, I missed it the first time round. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then I might watch some fairly quirky shows on television later. Whatever they are, things like um, I've watched recently Antiques Roadshow. Oh, uh, yeah. It's not, great. It's it, great. And I, I love it. I used to think that was for fuddy duddies, and I thought, well, I'm either no, a fuddy duddy no, 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 or it's great. this is really good. I think we both are, yes. Yeah. But uh, it's great. And I, I just hang out for the valuation. Yeah, it's really tempting, isn't <laughs> We're it? We're all on on tenterhooks waiting for that. I don't understand the the opiate drug of that show. It's but <laughs> it's that middle period when they're mm. just like they they're feeling up whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, and okay. they're just like, 
man, this is a really glorious looking plate. And me buying into the whole fantasy, yeah. I'm like, damn, that's a really nice looking plate. Yeah. I don't care about plates, <laughs> yeah, Greg. I don't, don't care about plates. Yeah. This, this figurine, so yeah, it's, I love it as well. And they're like, this figurine, you know, from the 17th century. Um, <laughs> and you can see from this watermark was made by a little man in France. who yeah. used 50 of these in his life. And it would be worth a fortune if it wasn't a fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. when that happens, like, and well, you just, nice. when they Crush. ask, you know, how much did you pay for this? If, yeah. it, if it were me, I'd say, look, I got it for three quid. <laughs> yeah, but they say, no, I spent five hundred pounds on this. <gasps> yeah. Oh, so they're letting themselves in for you know yeah. big embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I feel that whoever has a high price when they say that they pay this amount, it's always going to be bad. But you know, you know what sells it actually? I'm just and and I'm going to overanalyze really quickly. It's it's the story and the anticipation that it gives you because there's a story behind something that you just don't think about. And if you love a little bit of history, yeah, it's all there. I love yeah. these segues into like storytelling you're doing here, Ian. Like yeah. you're trying to bring it back to it's storytelling. It's really good. <laughs> it's very good. It's very I'm a true. subtle man. It's um, true. but it's true. Like it, it does draw you in. And anyone who loves it, it is the storyline. Yeah, a bit, a bit of history. You're just like, well, I mean, I, I love history. So whenever I hear them talking about it, you know, French Revolution piece of, mm-hmm. and also being here in Australia and New Zealand, you know, we only have so much history mm-hmm. uh, in terms of Western yeah, um, we have, yeah, goods new, like that. New history for us. So yeah, much. new history for us is a lot of what we have. And so, um, yeah, it's really fascinating. So, I, it's curious to mention antique roadshows. I've been watching um, great uh, co- Continental Railway. Um, oh, Railway Journeys. Oh, I've seen. Yes, that. Mm. it's very good. Very good. Mm. Um, that might might be a little to my personal facet, uh, fascination of Michael Portillo's choice of suit jackets, <laughs> but it's oh, still a very. That's with Mike. That's Michael P- Portillo, Portillo from yeah. who was in the cabinet. Yes. Oh, okay. That's who. That's he is, him. Yeah. All right. And uh, I wonder what happened to him. Sort of disappeared and then reappeared as a TV mm. presenter, which was an odd choice for me. I was like, oh, okay, it's Michael Postillo. Mm. Um, it's a good show. Uh, you, you should check it out if you're mm. at all interested. Mm. Even if you're not at all interested like me uh, in railways at all, it's a it's a compelling show because it's more about he uses the Bradshaw's Guide and goes through um, and looks at the, the history of a place, um, where it was, and then, yeah. you know, what it is. And it's a very interesting, quaint look at it. But uh, mm. anything else, Greg? Well, I not on not on TV, not in cinema even. Mm-hmm. Ah. So, I'm what was a, the last I, film you watched in a cinema, Greg? Ooh. Oh, Ooh, it's on the spot. One. I'll tell you the last play I saw. Okay. Oh, go on, yeah, Disgraced. Oh, um, by Actar. He won the he won the uh, Academy Award for it. Right, um, ah. a Muslim man in yeah. New York. His wife. Uh, He's interested in Islamic yes, I know culture, he, yeah, mm. yeah. and and then there's a couple of Jewish friends come around, and this becomes it's an explosive situation yeah. because oh. he's sort of denying his Muslim oh wow uh, heritage. It's, it's good. You enjoyed it? Oh, it's very really good. I saw it here in, in Melbourne. Oh, it, was, it was excellent. Great. Yeah, it's had a limited season. Yeah, right. Packed out mm. each time. A woman oh. next to me fell asleep. More of a comment, <laughs> not a recommend. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> it was more a comment on her, I thought. Yeah, than it was on <laughs> did, the did content. You, did you do the account? <clears throat> uh, no, she, she. Well, she was sort of making sort of heavy breathing there for a while. Right. Oh dear. But uh, hmm. that was that was excellent. As for films, I so I can never, I, I can never remember what the last film mm-hmm. is that I saw. I, I, mm. Cinema, yeah, a film comes along, I think I must see that. Mm. Oh, that. And yeah. then the moment's gone. Yep. Well, we did manage to catch La La Land. See, that oh. was a film that was that. That the exact thing that happens to Greg. It was me. It was being like, I should see this movie. Well, a friend of mine thought it was uh, uh, terrible. So see, oh. the, the, you know, the, the movie reviews for that film are so yeah, it is a bit. It's a Bobby thinks- way. It is, and I mean, I enjoyed actually the ending of it. I won't give away the ending, but the ending I thought was well I'll done. Go for no, it. it. Well, I, <laughs> I drop spoilers, and it's it's well done. The way that it ends uh-huh. is uh, it's it's. I'll just say it's bittersweet, and I think that that was a very good ending. My 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 wife loved it. Uh, more than I I think it wasn't what I was expecting it's not so much a, it is a musical but it's not that musical um, yes. but I enjoyed it on the big screen and stuff um, I, yeah it was, it was it was pretty good and I've got to say actually I, I forgot that the other two movies that I did see while I was on the plane which are very good I finally saw No Country for Old Men mm-hmm. fantastic mm-hmm. So I just that haircut. I just can't believe that I'd missed it for this long yeah. and it was there and I'm like why have I never watched this Coen Brothers oh my goodness 
I mean, it's it's very offbeat then, but that was great. And the other one was was Ghostbusters, the re reboot of Ghostbusters, mm, uh-huh. which I watched and was a great study in plot and how to just miss the mark. Yeah, because I wanted to love it, and that they, they were the the cast were all very funny. All of the the um the comedians in it were very funny, and uh, I didn't think the gender thing, whatever, they were fantastic. And uh, what was missing was the plot, was the tension and the real kicker at the end. Mm. It just it just I tell you what, what would have made that movie great if they had killed. Uh, or a seemingly kill one of the uh, lead cast members at the end of that movie you, would have been a classic for the ages, I'm telling you. But mm. anyway, sorry, that might sound a bit dramatic, but I have my reasons. I, I think <laughs> it's interesting, the idea of remakes in general. I mm. think that the, especially when you remake a classic or a cult classic, yeah. you're going to get like a very harsh response, even if your movie is quite good. I well, think. aren't mm. they, you know, take uh, mm. what I think is a great film, is um, Wake and Fright, mm. and it's going to be a TV Serial or series? Really, really? Uh, I can't work out what they can do to uh, improve on the film. Yeah, now the I, film I, is what it is. Yeah, what else is there to yeah, say? What are you going to do? Depends because there's this move now towards long form yes. TV, like yes. over. You know, and the example was the um, the Night Manager was the example, mm. which I didn't rate that highly myself. Um, but yeah, that's an example of you know kind of six episodes. But yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if it always works. Yeah, it's a bit. You know. It, I've brought this up before, and I've ranted about how how much I enjoyed Ben Hur, the original, mm-hmm. and then the yeah. remake comes along, and I'm yeah. thinking, who's the audience? Why are you making this movie? Nobody who watched the original will want to watch this. Yeah. Nobody who hasn't seen the original will want to watch this anyway. <laughs> and you know, it was a, it was a tragic case of uh, not knowing your audience and yeah. missing the mark just because you want to bank on a name and you want to use the name to get to get some traction with your film. Yeah, um, it's. I, I think it's just a bad idea. I think you, if, with the Ghostbusters idea, remake it in a um, in the spirit of Ghostbusters. You know, yes, make a yeah. film where these characters exist in the spirit of Ghostbusters. Yep. Don't call it Ghostbusters. You know? that, well, that's, that, what, that's what I think. The Get Smart remake did that. So they they remade Get Smart, and they didn't make the lead character Maxwell smart. They um they did have a character you know playing ninety nine, but the way they did it was very much as an homage to the original, mm. and I I loved it. Steve Carell, you know, played it respectfully mm. without trying to trying to to redo the original, which yep. was really great. And so you can do it. And I mean, Ocean's Eleven was a fantastic film. Yes, that's a that's, great example. See that? Yeah, that's a fantastic example of like uh, taking a an ensemble cast from the past, putting an ensemble cast in, yes. the, in the present, and then you know modernizing it. And then great. Ocean's Twelve. I don't know what they were thinking. And then they came back in Ocean's Thirteen. Thirteen was, was okay. great. Yeah. <laughs> so Twelve was just abysmal, weird. But Ocean's Eleven, yeah, fantastic. So I think it can be done. It's just got to be done respectfully and with a. Um, with without trying to be the original, which is where I think they they skirted too close to that line with the with Ghostbusters mm-hmm. and with some movies you should just never try. Yep. Leave it as. Yeah, well, you might as well watch the original. If exactly. You're just exactly. Going to... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Godzilla though is the one that will just always forever be remade. So forget it. Just constantly. Be there's remade. the new. Um, and I don't want to go too long oh. in the media section, but <laughs> there's the new Universal Studios uh, monster franchise thing. Uh, that they're doing with King Kong and Godzilla. Oh, uh, yeah. But do you... I mean, I, I, I don't... I'm not a big fan of the CGI. I like the jerky little, um, mm. you know... Yes. Yeah, yeah. Call, that's the charm. Stop motion. Stop yep. motion yeah. Godzilla. Yeah. 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 It's kind of... I, just just I enjoyed Willow. Yep. <laughs> Anyone seen Willow? Yep, yeah. Yep, yep, the, those yep. two weird snake things in the, in the pond that was the most... Yeah. Oh, that just the aw- just awful, but charming. <laughs> charming. charming as That's hell. what you want, charming. Yeah. It was great. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, it was like Doctor Who used to be good because it was all a bit clunky. Then yeah, it got really right. slick. Yeah, yeah, and then it sort of loses the point, and then it just looks like bad television. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but if anybody else has anything else in the media section, we shall move swiftly onwards to the topic. Now, mm. some people might not suffer from this um, because they're either working on their first novel or you know, an anthology of short stories or what have you. Um, but it happens to writers who have written a fair bit or have been writing in a particular series for a long time um, is writer fatigue. It, it, it can happen, it, uh, whether it's a real thing or whether it's a perception is an irrelevance, it, it does occur. Um, and people move genres, people move audiences, um, people rebrand themselves from a fantasy writer to a crime writer. 
Um, Alison uh, Goodman, I believe, uh, who we had last year in the mm-hmm. podcast, she was quite well known as a fantasy author, mm-hmm. moved towards Victorian Regency yep. crime. And, mm. and like, this happens quite regularly. Greg, you've written a lot of work. Um, you have a large body of work under your belt. And you've, you've sort of uh, ventured out into this um, adult uh, fiction. What, where, was the, where was the drive, do you think? Was it just the idea of, oh, I, I would like to write a crime novel? Or was it, was it you know, I'd like to try something new? Well, it's, it's very hard to pinpoint exactly. But mm. I, I, mean, I, I suppose I could start by saying I just like to write. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, most of my work was, uh, you know, nonfiction. I just really enjoyed it. Job of work. I, I, I mm. felt like this was worthwhile. And then uh, I suppose one factor was I started to use my own work as reference material, and I think that's a bad thing. <laughs> right. So I thought, time to sort of move on from this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, so I, I I did write some children's novels, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed that process. And then I just – it's just a way – just something new, as you, as you alluded to, something new and fresh to have a go at, a, a bit of a challenge. And I suppose, you know – most recently, I read Hilary Mantel's two books, mm-hmm. and I just thought I'd, I'd love to challenge myself to. I, I just love the way she portrayed that period. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was quite different from a lot of other um, historical fiction authors. So I th- I'd like to. I just thought this it can be done very well. Mm. So she was her books were quite an inspiration mm-hmm. to to get on mm. with it. Was it? So moving from, you know, different genres and working in that space, do you think when you moved to this, was there any carryover? Did you did you bank on the experience of, you know, um, not so much asking about like the, the pros and um, and just the, the, the experience you pick up with just writing for yeah, someone? Yeah, I, I, I find, I, I, find um, I tend to write, I write in paragraphs, you know, mm. whether you're describing someone having their throat cut yeah. mm. or um, the life cycle of a wombat, um, <laughs> you know, you've got something you have to say. Yeah. And you want to, whether it's to convey information or you want to entertain, uh, you've got your aim and your audience. And mm. in, in many ways, you're coming up with three or four sentences that hang together well mm. And, mm. and say what you want to say. Yep. So in that regard, uh, it's all practice. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> I had a go at writing TripAdvisor oh. um, reviews. Okay. Just as practice. I mean, I just have practice. If, and, you know, I might write a letter to the paper or send off a, an email to a politician mm, mm-hmm. because I, I just think it's fan, it's fantastic how – it's how satisfying it is when you get those three or four sentences together and yeah. they all hang together beautifully. Mm. And it's just a matter of putting in the time and the effort. And it's very rewarding, I mm, find, mm. whether it's part of a book or it's just have a bit of a whinge to, um, you mm. know, the Prime Minister. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Ian, um mm. So let's let's jump over on your side for a moment. Mm. You've been writing um, your fiction in that genre for how many years now? Uh, yeah, so it's been about three years uh, writing in kind of steampunk fantasy. Mm-hmm. So, with with that, mm. do you think that tomorrow you're like erotic fantasy? That's <laughs> my new genre. The, the sixty shades of grey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, uh, it's it's an interesting one. Uh, what well, what I'm doing at the moment with my planning for for what's mm. next is uh, is writing in the same kind of universe, but without the steampunk element. Pretty right. Much. Okay. So, um, I I think naturally for me, I I got to the end of this novel series, and I actually learned it about myself when I went back to write another because I wrote my novellas in the same universe, set in the same cities and stuff. Um, going back and writing one afterwards, I realized, yep, I really needed to write that, and you know it'll be released soon. But um, I also realized that it was time to it was time for something fresh as well, and something that drew on the uni- the universe, the world that I've been creating, but didn't have to be wedded to all the different the, the steampunk elements so in that mm. sense it's like a half step and that has felt enough for me to feel really free creatively to write and make it more uh, more open fantasy whereas mm. before it was kind of more suggested stuff yeah so in in that move do you mm. think there's a lot of 
I don't know, a little bit of tension where you're like, well, am I losing the core of what made me good at doing this particular mm. thing? Or, you know, what, where was that? No, yeah, I, d- I did think about that. And you know what? I haven't written the book yet, so I'm, <laughs> I guess I'll find out. Yeah. But it, it actually has, I've found it really liberating because you you take the best of what you've learned and, and mm. whether it's paragraph, you know, structuring things or whether it's the um, what it, what it worked for me. I, I found out what works and I think I've been able to say, well, I can go in a different direction and I know how it all ties together. So for me, that kind of works. Now, if I was going to sit down tomorrow and write, you know, contemporary uh, middle grade fiction, I think I struggle a bit more to, to yeah. do that writing about, you know, little James sitting in a classroom in uh, Mooloolaba or something. Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. I'd struggle to get there um, straight away. But, you know, there are ways that you can kind of cross over. So I found it's been a good experience for me. So, Greg, you've you've had that experience. Mm. You've written for children and then mm. you're, you're doing this for adults. Was that that... Um, you know, was that the the gap for you when you're like, ah, do I want to? Do I really want to change audiences? Oh or? no, no, no. I find I found. Um, I, su- I suppose. I mean, I've done, done a lot of writing, not just you know with books for children. Or, yeah. Or, um, just practicing on a whole range. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of can't. I'm just saying what mm. Ian, Ian was saying about writing uh, steampunk. Mm. Yeah, clearly he 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 knows about it. Yeah, mm. and so. Whether he, he he'll write about something he feels confident in doing, hmm. so moving to writing for adults, I didn't feel any that this is a problem. Yeah. Mm. But if if I cho- I couldn't have chosen fantasy or steampunk because I, j- I just would yeah, think right. I, I'd, I'm, I'd be a phony. It'd be yeah. so inauthentic. Because mm. mm. so, you don't know the genre. No. So, so it's just as as far as the, right. the, the the writing for the age group, I don't have a problem. Mm. Didn't have a problem with that. Shifting, I just felt yeah. confident with the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. The it was curious because in in my work I did um, I write generally speaking sword and sorcery is the the mainstay of my work and then I write for you know for pleasure um, I write uh, crime fiction uh, which is self published um, and with those switches it's interesting to see how they influence each other in my writing um, so I with crime fiction it's very with the particular character that I have, first-person narration, it's not something I do very much. Um, I like mm. third-person limited. Uh, I, I like yep. the distance from the character. But then, you know, doing something like going first-person with this mm. character opens up different boundaries for you and, and, you know, opens up a lot of freedom as well. Mm. It, it, the novel became a lot more internal, a lot more talking about the character's emotions and things like that. Yeah. When you write, do you think that that's a consideration of being like, oh, why don't I try this particular point of view or, or so, yeah. something different? Certainly, whether it's first person or not. Yes, I, I have. Um, I wrote a children's novel in first person. I, mm. I don't know what the reason was that mm. I, I just thought yeah. the, the, the flavor of it would be yeah. or, or that, the tenor of it would be better suited for first person, mm-hmm. um, but I I do have a preference for writing the sort of like a universal mm-hmm. third person narrator. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, I think it's it's you make the decision, and mm. it's it's a challenge. So you you make it you work. work for it. So there might yeah. be one reason or, or the other, and the a publisher might say, look, this might work better. If yeah. You try. <laughs> yeah. You think, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll do that. You know. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, mm. Well, it's interesting. I I um. I haven't written anything extensive in first person, but I remember the experience it was last year that I um, I sat down. I, I, I had this intention. I wrote a short story on Twitter for the Twitter Fiction Festival uh, in 2015, um, which was which you can you can read an entirety on my Twitter feed, mm-hmm. um, and that was that was really interesting. But I I want to flesh that out and write the actual novella of it. Um, and when I started writing that, I realized that because it's told from the point of view of a, a young guy talking to his mentor. But when when um, this young man starts to tell the story, I realized this has to be in first person. And I had already written about this character in the novels. And as soon as I started writing first person, I just had this, it was very hard to describe the feeling because the character suddenly came to life in a way that he never had when I wrote about him in the novels. Suddenly, the, I was inside this character's head, and it was a, I, I, you know, I'm not much for um, pretension when it comes mm-hmm. to writing. I don't, I don't claim it's some magical act that the muse sits on my shoulder, but that was probably a moment where I was like, "Wow, this is really intense, more intense than I expected it to be." Getting inside this character's head, mm. um, I haven't finished writing that yet because it was it was so jarring for me. I, I kind of I had to put it aside. So yeah. I will get back to do it. But um, yeah, really interesting, changing perspectives. I, I personally prefer. Third person limited. Well, myself. how how do you know? I mean, if you're mm. if you're experienced and knowledgeable in in say steampunk, mm. you've got a better idea when you finish writing a 
piece whether it's any good or not, haven't you? Whereas yeah. if, if you're writing an unfamiliar, mm, yeah. you may not know, is this, is this rubbish? Is this actually yeah. good? <laughs> that is true. That <laughs> What's is true. your frame of reference? Well, yeah. I, I, mm. you know, I used to f- found that at school, you know, as a kid, I used to think humour was good because if it made you laugh, it, well, there, was something, <laughs> there was something right about it. Yeah. You know? mm. Whereas if it was deep and meaningful, I'd say, is this either just a lot of nonsense or is it really, is, it, is this really deep? Mm. Um, mm. Never, I could never be sure. Yeah, mm. that's interesting, isn't it? When I think about some of the books that I liked at school, there were, there were these books called Bruno and Boots, um, and you may not have heard of them. They're by this guy called Gordon Corman, and he wrote his first one when he was fourteen, I think it was, and it got published. and uh, And these books, I haven't actually been able to find them. Now I'm an adult, I want to go back and reread them. But they were very funny, and they were very well written. And he was a teenager writing them. Um, he, he's he's gone on. He's he's had a career in writing. But I remember those were funny books that drew me in. But the storyline was still good as well. Like the story still wrapped really well, mm. which I like. And I'm drawn to really compelling stories as opposed to characterization. So they were fairly light on characterization um but yeah I, I can see what you mean about the um about funny at least you know funny you can get uh whereas you know am i writing tripe yeah um, when it comes to that <laughs> or is you know, this actually her yeah. eyes were like were like the stars gleamed in her eyes and oh, does that work you know <laughs> yeah yeah you want to avoid cliche and avoid doing something like that and and also i think you know moving to a different genre and a couple writers have done this and we last year on the podcast we talked with Dr. L. Levings um, and Luke Manley was mm. uh, the co-host. We did a, uh, a more in-depth uh, study of a book, um, The Buried Giant by Kazuo Ishiguro. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's a literary author for the most part. And that was his first foray into fantasy. Mm. And it was curious because um, Dr. Levings absolutely did not enjoy the book. And he's, mm. a, he's a fantasy buff as I am. Yeah. Um, but, and I think that the, the reasons that he's described it is just a lack of understanding of mm. the genre yeah. that pulled him up. It was right. particular things that felt a little off about it. And it's curious because this has been mentioned by a lot of reviewers and such as well. Mm. And then there's the other side of the fence where it was like, well, I enjoy it because it's, n- it's, it's, it's different from usual fantasy. And mm-hmm. so the, 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 the apparent mistakes or missteps um, is refreshing for people mm. who want who want something different. Mm. Um, was that was that? Uh, well, that's that's something. To, I mean, fantasy fans might pick, pick mm. it, but people who've never read it, they might just read him. Yeah, yep. they yep. may not pick the faults. Um, yeah, I think you have to be the thing in, in historical fiction. You know, there's a lot of controversy about it. You know, uh, mm. you know yeah. people have their rules, and I suppose I've got my rules. Mm-hmm. You know, try and be authentic, and and so on. Yeah, and. Um, there's a, there's a lot of uh, you know the, the historical novel society of Australasia debates mm. this. They're having a conference in September. Yep. And and this will be a major topic. You know, debating what you can put in, what you can't mm. put in, and uh, you know, are you being true to the times and mm. uh, so on. So, uh, you even if you were expert, mm. you can be yep. roundly criticised. Yeah. yeah. As Kate Grenville was mm-hmm. with the Secret River. Yep. Um, so, I don't know. Unless it's sort of egregiously, yeah. not on, not in the genre, or mm. it's uh, something that's completely uh, wrong. Mm. I think they'll all be always be subject to uh, criticism or mm. debate. Yeah, mm. is that a worry for you? Do you think if you no, were to I engage think, in a new genre, I genre? think uh, if people have got legitimate criticisms, I think that's you know, I think that's fair enough. You know, if they say yep. there's too much of this and not enough of that, mm. I don't know. Although uh, a friend of mine had a book. Um, his first book uh, reviewed mm. and he used it was set in the Second World War and he'd, uh-huh. he'd written mm. something like public relations in the army a, cri- a critic said oh this, this is just an anachronism well the critic was wrong oh. yeah. so it sounds yeah. like it's very modern but it wasn't mm, interesting mm. or he had people uh, standing up at the end of a movie in this, in this book to advance Australia fair. And, mm. of course, a lot of readers are going to say, oh, that can't be right. Mm. It must have been God Save the Queen, surely. So yeah, he's got yeah, to write yeah. it. No, it actually was what they... Right. It was after the fall of Singapore. They were yeah. going to play that. So so you've got to sort of cater for the audience. Not assume <laughs> yeah. they're morons. <laughs> yeah. But also just make it clear that, no, look, it's... This is, this By the is, way, this is accurate. This is accurate. <laughs> yeah. So with historical crime fiction um, mm. set, set in Australia, it's... 
It's an interesting genre. Hmm. Was there a consideration where you're like, okay, this is six months. I'm just going to read every book that's published in this genre to get a sense of it. Or were you comfortable enough with the genre that you were like, okay, let me go off and, and do my thing? Uh, now, well, I'd read a lot of... One of the things I read, I read a lot of newspapers from, mm. the, from the time on, uh, online. Uh, mm. So you get a sense of uh, what sort of what affected people, what, what they worried about. Mm. Um, and even then you can be a little bit unsure about, you know, what, would this have happened in those days? Would, that, would this have been a priority for people? Um, mm. uh, so, but you gradually piece it together. And I suppose the, the danger is um, <laughs> I might, for some people who don't read it, become an authority uh, yeah. <laughs> they say, oh, no, I was in this book. Yeah, it said yeah, that. yeah. Uh, but so, in the end, I'm just got to be comfortable that uh, I'm not putting in things there that that uh, um, that wouldn't have happened, or that uh, I'm sort of exaggerating things mm-hmm. that weren't important, mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah. Um, another another question uh, um, off that would be the language used in the story. Again, historical fiction. Um, what, in your mind, did you think, I'm going to write a particular kind of voice that's easier for the reader to to, to wrap their head around, or am I going to try and be as... <laughs> well, <laughs> my publisher, Henry Rosenblum, actually said, I'll, I'll take it as a compliment, he said, you sort of sort of talk or you write in a 19th century kind of way. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> so I thought, okay, fair point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, whether he's—that's his impression. Perhaps I sound like some, um, mm. you know, some period TV shows you've seen. Yeah. Um, but I thought no, no that's that's fair. But, but there are—you you can't write exactly mm. as they were because it, it might be impenetrable. Yeah. Mm. Too 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 much. Yeah. True. Um, and there and I, I suppose people are informed by television programs, yep. and so it becomes. The standard, doesn't it? Yeah. This, is, this is how they spoke in those days. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you can't be sure. Yeah. Mm. So and, and and often within these these uh, television shows, they would uh, use particular details of speech or phrases that people pick up on and be like, "Oh, that's really interesting." Mm. But that doesn't mean that everything that they use in that show is is that. Yeah. They would use maybe fifty yeah. percent um, of our speech just to engage the audience, and then they would drop bits in there to be like, "Okay, this is the period. This mm. is how we tell." A good example of that would be Ripper Street. It's a fantastic show. Mm. Um, Vic, uh, that kind of um, during the Ripper murders in in um, uh, Whitechapel, mm-hmm. yeah, right, um, yeah, and the way they speak and just particular phrasings have been mentioned very favorably in reviews. Mm-hmm. And that's something I picked up on. I was reading the reviews and I saw these uh, complimenting the the writer's knowledge of the period or like particular things. And while you watch the show, it was curious because mostly the show is, mm-hmm. you know, just pretty much the fiction you would read on the shelves and they drop little bits mm. in the show to give you that flavor and, I, and reviews seem to Well, I think one of on the that. fascinations about historical fiction is they're, they're recognizably human, clearly, with the, all the politics and all yeah. the, and, mm. and, and the jealousies and whatnot and, and the emotions. But there's always something, and I think you've got to put it in, in the book, in, put it in your writing, that's a little bit different. There's mm. a bit of a... Yeah, it's a bit out of focus with today, and you think, "Oh, that's that's fascinating. It's titillating, really." Yeah, because you think, "Oh, mm. they're not like us." Yeah, yeah. They think this is good, or yep. this is okay. Yes, mm. yes, yes, yes. You know, yeah. Like you can be reading um, those Cic- that Cicero trilogy mm. Mm. from uh, uh, Robert Harris, and you know, you think, "Oh, this is just like politics today." Yeah. But then then yeah. someone someone's garroted <laughs> in the street. And you think, this doesn't. Yeah. You know, this wouldn't happen. Or, <laughs> Or he's got a slave. That's an efficient way of dealing yeah, with it. Yeah, he has yeah, a slave. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, I think that's the fascinating part of historical fiction, yeah. just the difference. See how people, the culture has shifted. Yeah. Or it's not. It, or not. Well, mm. we've kept a bit too much. Um, interesting, Ian, mm. if someone were to say to you, would you be willing to give up your comfort zone, give mm. up your, your world, yep. your setting, your genre, and mm. try a completely different project mm. you know, is that something that could appeal to you you w- would you do it yeah absolutely and i mean i have i have some ideas for things that are um that are well outside of that and kind of you know set in a more modern setting and i, th- I think it's just about uh finding as long as it's true to you and i, I think the thing i keep coming back to uh, this 
people, I've heard several authors say that they write about the things, the stories they get obsessed with, you know, the story that you have to tell. And I think that that's what it comes back to. If you're, if you're trying to force yourself to write a story, I think that kind of comes across. Um, something that I find helps me with that is doing, I do sometimes do the writing prompts on Reddit um, and, and they have a, a forum called writing prompts where people do things. And sometimes those can be really great because you can go in there and you have, you're forced to write something very different. You know, they'll say uh, you smash a mirror in your bedroom and you find a video camera behind there with a tunnel leading away. There you go. Write the rest of that. And that was one of the first writing prompts I ever did. Those kind of things that I don't have video cameras in my steampunk world. So, you know, suddenly you have to step outside of that. And that's really good. So I think sometimes taking those baby steps, if I felt that I could do that, then, you know, as to whether or not it would go well, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> that's another question, isn't it? And I think it's about just about timing and, and whatever you do has got to be authentic. It's got to mm. be something that you can be true to. It's, it's curious because a lot of writers um, talk about the idea of diversifying yourself as a very helpful thing mm. and the idea don't pigeonhole yourself into a genre or else you'll become known for that, you know, just mm. doing that. And it's interesting because I think that for a lot of writers, that's fine with them, you know, being mm -hmm. in a particular genre, being an expert in your genre and writing really well and very mm. proficiently at it is very attractive to a lot of readers. I think mm. they know that they can come to you for yeah. that particular thing. Well, one thing I, I would be interesting to point I mean, Stephen King is a good example because he writes not just... If Stephen King just wrote horror, you'd know you always pick up his book and you get horror. Yeah. But actually, he's written, um, you know, many things which are not horror, which are, which are more fantasy. There's like, you mm -hmm. know, straight up fantasy in some cases. And then things which Western are... Western sort of yeah. idea of the Dark Tower. Yeah, that's right, Dark Tower. And so, you know, he's, he's diversified, but he hasn't diversified so much that you wouldn't recognize it was him. You know, he hasn't gone and written... He doesn't, he hasn't, doesn't jump straight from horror to romance unless he's done some romance i don't know about um don't but, know mm, but you know like i think that those stephen king romance stephen like that king just sounds Mystery? was that a bit of a romance yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stephen king's it maybe yeah. <laughs> it's ooh. um but you know like it's it's the, you kind of know where the person's going to go i think in some ways and that, that flavor they bring to the writing so you know if I was to read a Stephen King romance, I think I'd be expecting him to either have a fantasy element or a horror element. Yeah, or like know. some sort of a twist in the halfway through the book where it flips mm. it on. Its yeah, head. exactly. So in that sense, I think it's it's that half step, whatever you want to say, that's yeah. a kind of more of a safe way to play it. And and it's curious because a very famous fantasy writer, David uh, Gamel, um, very well, uh, very successful in his genre, um, pretty much mm. a mainstay of it. Um, and he wrote a crime, uh, a true, I believe it was a true crime, um, mm. book with a pseudonym, mm. um, and later said it was the worst thing that he has ever written. Oh. And that, you know, he was happy that nobody really paid it much mind, and it sort of faded away in the, in the background. I believe it was Black Knight, White Swan or something, mm. or maybe it's the invert of that. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's it's curious because sometimes you you can really misstep. You can just do something, and then you're like, yeah, that that doesn't work for me. Have you had that, Greg? Have you put your mind to a project or something and being like, that's just not me? Uh, this is the bit where you say no. Well, <laughs> well, I did. No, I'm just going to turn that on its head mm -hmm. a little bit. Sure. Mm. I did write a farce, right? okay. and mm. I thought it yeah. amused me. Yeah, okay. it amused me, mm -hmm. but. Uh, no one else was amused. <laughs> oh, no one else was amused. A, a few friends might have been. Yep. Politely. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I think the time it, I think the time had passed as far as uh, Australian readers being interested. Mm. Like a publisher might have thought, oh, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. Um, but of course, I, I don't think of that as a waste of time or anything. I had a great time yeah. doing it. Mm. So um, as for doing something that, now I, 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 I would get two lines in if I was writing fantasy or. Mm. anything mm. out of my uh, area of knowledge, I'd, I'd think, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Mm. So I wouldn't get very far. Yeah, you'd feel it right there at the start. I, I would feel it at the start, yeah. Mm. That is interesting as well. I, I just, it did occur to me as well that J.K. Rowling did that. When she finished Harry Potter, she wrote The Casual Vacancy next. And then yep. she went under her pseudonym and, and wrote 
Robert Galbraith, um, you know, the mm. Robert Galbraith books. And uh, but even in that, now I didn't I haven't read the Casual Vacancy, but it kind of mm. got mixed mixed reviews mm. from people because really? um, that was a big change to adult contemporary from that. But then when she went and did the Robert Galbraith books, the Harry Potter books essentially were mystery stories, um, and so she was, was in the mystery. Over. She had her twists, and it worked because I knew what I knew what to expect from mm. J.K. Rowling. I knew she'd have a great twist at the end, and I wouldn't be able to figure out who it was most likely. So you know, again, that person stuck with them what they knew, even though they went to adult mm. contemporary. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a there's always a through line with authors. I think there are particular things yeah. that authors are very good at that they transition to d- depending on what genre or market it is. I think those things stay the same. Mm. Um, a friend of mine mentioned to me that the the idea of writers, the the idea of a writer putting down something on his pen is because they either they're either an expert in a particular thing, so they know about family relationships. So they were in a close-knit family, so they write about those things quite well. Um, They have particular experience with a a certain kind of culture, so then those things come out in their writing. Mm. And so no matter what genre or what storyline that go to, those themes play very strongly, like you were mentioning about um, Mm. Harry Potter and the idea of a mystery story. Then transitioning to an actual mystery story Mm. makes complete sense. Um, So are we going to see a... uh, a Tolkien ex- uh, inspired <laughs> epic fantasy, uh, epic fantasy <laughs> crime mystery. Great. Uh, well, look, I, I think one thing you tend to end up writing to type. Maybe mm. that's what you're saying. So you know, I start writing a, a crime novel. I can't help but see opportunities for a bit of humour. Yeah. Uh, so right. it's going to be there because I think mm. you know I can't do the heavy. Mm. You know, there's a bit of a, there'll be some heavy scenes, but then it'll have to be leavened by yeah. humour. Yep. Yeah, so I noticed that as I well. I noticed that, that you have, to, you know, you see an opportunity, stick it in. So yeah. I think that's right. You, you, you put your signature on it mm. in that way. There you go. Well, I think we are getting towards the end mm. of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. It's been a great show. Um, let's start with you, Greg. What have you got coming up for us? Social media links. Etc. Well, I'm a dinosaur when it comes to social media. Oh, I'm oh. happy. Okay. <laughs> so Completely. If, if you want to contact me, you have to go through Scribe Publications. Yeah. Um, there's an author event for the Australia of the Historical Novel Society Australasia mm-hmm. at the Mail Exchange Hotel, discussing these very issues mm-hmm. um, on the eighth. Oh, sorry, on the nineteenth of February. Yeah. And then later in the in. Later in the year, in uh, September, there's the Historical Novel Society's conference, biennial conference. Hmm. Uh, they have a website. That and sounds quite intimidating. Mm. It does, rather. It sounds very heavy, doesn't mm. it? But fascinating. <laughs> yes, yeah, be good, I can I'm imagine. Sure. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah, I've got uh, launch at readings on the 9th. So mm. you Fantastic. can come along to that if you like. Do so indeed. Ian, what have you got coming up for us? Where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find me on uh, Twitter at IHLaking um, or at my website, uh, IHLaking.com, which will soon be undergoing a makeover yet again. Um, and yeah, my new novella, uh, which was delayed in December, is going to be coming out. Uh, February is looking likely. You've just got to wrap up a couple of little points and it'll appear online, which is going to be great. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to reading it when it's out. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. You can find me uh, the, at the Pen of Joel on Twitter. I hardly ever tweet, but when I do, it's about something that it's is glorious. It's good, not yeah. necessary to be told. Uh, <laughs> and I use. I've just discovered gifts because of Ian's mm. uh, lavish uh, use of them, uh, and I use one particular gif, and it is a bulldog. There we it's go. Adorable. Um, that's my extent of using Twitter. Uh, you can contact me uh, via my email, um, which will be stated at the start of the podcast. And since I cannot remember it, I won't tell you again right now. Hmm. Um, thepenofjoel.com is my website. You can find The Morning Bell, themorningbell.com.au, and the podcast archives are on Podcast Garden and iTunes. Thank you very much for coming back, ladies and gentlemen. It is 2017, and we hope that this year will be very good for the podcast. Big changes coming up. Mm. We have a special announcement, um, hopefully doing something big in March that we get to tell you about very soon. So look out for that, either in the next podcast or the one after that. Mm. Um, We look forward to giving you the details and uh, sharing what's coming up. Big changes for the Morning Bell this year. 
and uh, we hope you can join us for them. Thank you, Greg, for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you, Joel. Fantastic. We'll see you guys later on the next episode.